The topic today is hope and healing for hurting hearts. And uh, that's the topic. Now here's the theme. The theme is that most people, I say most, not all, but most people are as happy as they choose to be. Now some folks can have glandular problems and hormones gone astray, but most people are as happy as they choose to be. So I've given you the topic, I've given you the theme, now let me give you thirdly, so you'll know how well organized I am, let me give you the purpose of this talk. The purpose of this talk is to show you how you can triumph over difficulties, how you can replace hate with love, guilt with forgiveness, pessimism with optimism, fear with courage, despair with hope, and death with life. And if you think some of those pauses are there because of some dramatic effect, it's because it takes me longer to read it in my notes when I don't have my glasses on. This presentation, I need to tell you at this stage, is worth more than a million dollars. The truths you will hear today will do you more good than if you opened your mail and found a check for a million dollars. Have you seen those television commercials where folks go to the door and there's a man standing there and these people have won the sweepstakes? And he passes them the check and they're bouncing up and down and they're shouting for joy. That's how you folks are to be after this sermon today. This talk is worth more than a million. And the first point in the body of my talk is this. You see, that was the introduction. Now we come to the body of the sermon. And the first point in the body of the sermon is how to triumph over difficulties. I want you please to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Psalms. And come with me to Psalm 18 and verse 28 and 29. Dear hearts and gentle people, book of Psalms written by King David who knew what it was to go through difficult times of trouble. Psalm 18 and verse 28 and 29. Book of Psalms. Psalm 18 verse 28 and 29. He says, You, O Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. If you read this in other translations, and if you look at the marginal rendition, it says, with my God, I can run through a barricade. I can leap over a wall. With the help of God, my friend, you and I can triumph over any difficulty. I want you to come with me to the book of Ephesians, please. So some of you here today I know are going through real difficulties. These verses are going to bless you. Come over here to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, please. To the great words of the great apostle Paul, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. And please turn in your Bibles to the texts. There is power in the word of God to you today. But please read the texts. Ephesians 3 and verse 20, and I want you to read it with me. I'm going to read it out of the NIV. You can read it in the King James Version, any translation you like. Verse 20, together. Now to him 
who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. The Bible tells us that through Christ we can do more than we can visualize, more than we can dream about, and more than we can imagine. This week I was reading about a young soldier boy who was put in a, in a hospital to recuperate, if that were possible. This boy had lost both his legs, he'd lost one arm, and he had no sight. They propped him up in a little high chair like they have for babies, you know, like you put up against the, the kitchen table and put a baby in it. And so they had a type of thing that was like a high chair, and they pushed him around the hospital in this high chair. They said there was an amazing thing about this young man. He saw himself as a person with one arm, two ears, one nose, a hand with four fingers and a thumb, an active brain. And everybody realized that this was a young man who had a great soul that was full of courage and hope. The most amazing thing about this young soldier, an American boy with both legs blown away, one arm blown away, and totally blind, was that he was the most cheerful and the most upbeat and the most happy person in the whole of that hospital. Think, think of it, my friend. A boy with no legs, only one arm, and he's blind, and he's the most happy person in the hospital. People say, what happened to this boy? Would you like to know what happened to him? Well, for starters, he married his nurse. He married his nurse. And then this blind boy who was not going to sit down and feel sorry for himself went to university and earned a PhD. And today he's a professor in a university. My friend, by God's grace, I can go through a barricade and by the grace of God, I can jump over a wall. And so can you. What is needed today in our hearts is courage, hope, and faith in God. You know the little song or the little poem, don't you? Two men looked out through prison bars. One saw mud and the other saw stars. My friend, I want you to know this and don't forget it. It is not the outlook, it is the uplook that counts. And when you have God in your heart, you can overcome any difficulty. And this is a young man, my friend, who turned his scars into stars. And God wants every person in this church and every person watching this program on television to have so much faith and so much hope and so much courage that he can turn his scars into stars. We're told in the scriptures that Jesus has said, never, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. I'm reading through some great history books at present. I'm getting a tremendous blessing out of reading the story of Winston Churchill, uh, Winston Spencer Churchill, who was the Prime Minister of Britain during her darkest days. The book is called the last line. There are three volumes and I'm working my way through the second volume. I want to read you the words of this man when England was about ready to fall. 
To the War Cabinet he said, I've thought carefully in these last days whether it is part of my duty to consider entering into negotiations with that man, as Hitler, and concluded, if this long island story of ours is to end at last, let it end only when each one of us lies choking in his own blood upon the ground. He spoke to them, to the House, and then to the English people, as one had never before or ever would again. He said, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. Then Churchill said, even though large tracts of Europe and many old and famous states have fallen, or may fall into the hands of the Gestapo and all the odious apparatus of Nazi rule, we shall not flag or fail. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and the oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Behind us, he said, gather a group of shattered states and bludgeoned races. The Czechs, the Poles, the Danes, the Norwegians, the Belgians, the Dutch, upon all of whom a long night of barbarism will descend unbroken, even by a star of hope, unless we conquer, as conquer we must, as conquer we shall. That's fighting talk. That's the talk, my friend, of a man who knows where he's going. And when uh, Churchill said those words, England was standing alone, America hadn't come into the war, she was standing aloof. All of Europe, my friend, had gone down the drain into the great pit of the Nazis. The Russians, who were the enemies of the Nazis, had come in on the side of Hitler. Even France, with the greatest army in Europe, lay in ruins, and Paris was in the hands of the Nazis. Germany was the great power that was conquering all. Poland had gone, Czechoslovakia had gone, Austria had gone, all the nations of Europe had gone. England stood alone, and there was one man who had faith. The British army was nothing because the British had followed a policy of conciliation and appeasement to the Nazis. And so England had no army, she had a navy, but the navy was being wiped out of existence by the U-boats. She had a small air force, but she had standing at the helm of that nation a man who said these words. Listen to them. That's why I'm proud in some way to be associated with those people. He said these words, and I am proud that a man existed who would say these words. He said, never, 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 never give in. I say to you, my friend, whatever happens, never, 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 never 
give in. God is looking for soldiers of the cross. God, my friend, has got enough flakes he's got to contend with. God needs a few spiritual Churchills who will say, I've got nothing to offer you but blood, sweat and tears and we shall conquer as conquer we must and as conquer we shall. And to say, I will never, 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 never give up. My friend, it's not wrong to feel like giving up. I will confess to you when the battle is strong and when friends are few and when loyalty is rare, I feel like giving up, but I will not give up while Christ is on his throne. And neither should you. You and I can overcome our difficulties through courage, hope and faith. I tell you, happiness is a choice. Happiness is a choice. Whether we conquer or whether we fail is up to us by the grace of God. I come now to my second point. How to replace hate and anger with love. Hate and anger are the most destructive forces known to man. Hate and anger are the main causes of depression. Depression is not only caused by hate and anger, it is sometimes called by, caused by a hormonal balance, particularly in women. But the main causes generally of depression are hate and anger. I want you to turn to the words of Jesus over here in Matthew chapter 5. I want you to notice the words of our Lord in his Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43 to 45, dear people. Matthew 5, 43 and onwards. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, love your friends and love your neighbor. But Jesus says, I've got a new saying to tell you today, love your enemies. And then Jesus says, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. My friend, if I only love those who love me, I am the son of a devil. Did you hear this? The characteristic of a son of God is that he loves his enemies. Do you love your enemies? If you would be a son of God, you must love your enemies. This calls, my friend, for a supernatural religion. This is not a part of us by nature. I cannot love my enemies by nature. I can only do it with an abundance of the love of God in my heart. But God expects it. And God tells me, love your enemies. Some time ago on the telephone, I spoke to Jacob DeShazer, a man who watches our television program. He's up there in Oregon. 
He was one of Jimmy Doolittle's raiders. His plane, the last plane off the carrier, was called the Bat Out of Hell. The date was April 18, 1942. Sixteen American B-25 bombers were on their way to Japan. America at last was in the war because of Pearl Harbor. And so the planes were going to strike a blow for freedom and send a message to the Japanese. And so Jimmy Doolittle, who later became known as General Doolittle, on this occasion he was a lieutenant colonel. Jimmy Doolittle was leading 16 B-25s to strike a blow against the Japanese. And after they had dropped their bombs, they were too far from land, too far from the carrier to go back. They had to go on and try to find a landing. And his plane, Jacob DeShazer's plane, landed in China. When he came down with his parachute, he landed in a cemetery, a Chinese cemetery. He started walking. He had broken ribs. He had some bones that were broken. He was quickly picked up by the Japanese, who then subjected him to torture. No people tortured their people more than the Japanese. They did not follow the Geneva Conventions. And he and the rest of the American airmen were subjected to beatings and the famous Japanese water treatment, where water was poured down their noses and their throats until their bodies filled with water and they were drowning. Then these men, these American men, including Jacob DeShazer, were found guilty and were sentenced to death. He was taken out and he was told by his judge, it is an honorable, glorious thing that I'm going to do, and that is to chop off your head. And so he was blindfolded and told to kneel. But nothing happened. When they took the blindfold off his eyes, they were only taking his photographs. Um, or taking his photograph and the photographs of the rest of the men. He was placed in a nine by five cell and then he endured beatings, torture and starvation. He suffered terribly from dysentery. In 1944 there was a change in the attitude of his guards because they wanted him to live. They didn't want him to die whatever the reason was. And the guards brought to those American aviators a Bible, an English Bible. And after waiting for six months, there was only one Bible, and the rest of those men wanted to get a Bible. They were so hungry, he had to wait for six months to get a copy of the Word of God. And this man, Jacob DeShazer, was not a believer in Jesus Christ. He was not a true Christian. But when he got that Bible, there in that dirty stinking Japanese nine by five cell. He read the Bible through once and a second time and a third time. He read it over and over again. And then June 8, 1944, there in this filthy cell, he knelt down beside his bed and he gave his life to Christ. Those Japanese guards were brutal. I know because I have relatives and friends who never came back from Singapore and died under the most evil tortures that you can imagine. 
And on one occasion, when the guard brought him just a little bit of soup, Deshazer had his foot in the door. I think he'd been to the bathroom or been allowed to exercise. And the guard rammed the door shut with his foot stuck in the door. He screamed out in agony. And then the guard stamped on his foot with his hobnail boots. And even though he'd given his life to Christ, the anger, the hatred, the feelings of vengeance came up in his soul. But he read these words, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them that despitefully use you. Is it easy? Is it easy? You know it's hard. It's the hardest thing in the world to do that. But the next morning when the guard came, Deshazer had learned some Japanese and he gave him a friendly greeting. And the Japanese officer just looked at him in astonishment. But Deshazer kept up the treatment, giving him love and kindness because he had decided to forgive him and to love him. And uh, some weeks later, the guard came to him with a boiled potato, smiled at him. And then the big day came, August 6, 1945. He woke up that morning. You know what happened on that day. August 6, 1945. He woke up and he had a feeling the battle's over. You're going home. The battle's over. You're going to be liberated. That was the day the Americans dropped the bomb on Hiroshima. He was liberated. And in 1948, Jacob DeShazer returned to Japan with his wife as a missionary. In 1950, now during this time, he put out a little book on how he got to know Christ. How he was the last bat out of hell with Jimmy Doolittle. He told the story. He told how he found Christ as he read the Bible in that Japanese 9x5 cell. And in 1950, DeShazer, an American Air Forceman, met Mitsuo Fujida. He told me this story on the telephone. 1950, he met Mitsuo Fujida, who was the flight commander of 360 planes that attacked Pearl Harbor. The man, my friend, that had led the zeros against this nation in Pearl Harbor was now sitting with this man who had been his enemy. And he said, I read your story. And he said, after reading your story and how you loved the guards, those barbarians, and they were, how you love those sun-worshipping barbarians who worship the emperor, who did not follow the Geneva Conventions. He said, I went and bought a New Testament. And he said, I gave my life to Christ because of you. I tell you, my friend, happiness is a choice, forgiveness is a choice, and love is a choice. I ask the question, how do you deal with people? How do we deal with people who deliberately do us harm? Jesus said, love your enemies. Jesus never said, trust your enemies. Now that's a different thing. 
Jesus said, love your enemies. He didn't say, trust your enemies. It's not much good saying to Blake over here, if he was in a German concentration camp, Blake, trust the Nazis. No, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says, love your enemies. And people say that's impossible. It is. Until you understand it. You see, there are two words for love. One is agape, and the other word is philae. One means like. One is human affection. I like you. I like you. I like Alice here. I like Ron. I like you. You see? I like people basically who like me. That is human love. Anything wrong with it? No, it's a great love. But when the Bible says, love your enemies, it doesn't use that word. It doesn't say, like your enemies. It says, love them. Agape. It's the same word in the Bible that says, for God so loved the world. That God loves the world with all its sin and all its ugliness. God doesn't tell us to like our enemies, but he tells us to love them. And this love is a principle. It is the gift of God. It is something that I cannot do except that God gives it to me. You know, it's very easy to talk platitudes here in church, but we need to be in touch with the real world. Can you love that boy who shot three fellow students? You know he shot a 16-year-old girl who is now a paraplegic? So here is this young man, watches a movie filled with hate, filled with venom, walks into a school, big guy he is, the big coward, shoots three young people dead, makes a 16-year-old girl a paraplegic for the rest of her life. What are you going to do with that, tell me? You're going to love him? If you're a Christian, you will. Love your enemies. Are the parents going to love him? What a terrible challenge. Yes, if they're going to be Christians. Love him as God loves the sinner. Like him, that's a different matter. You may never, never like him. I couldn't like him at present. What about the guy, my friend, this, this man, my friend, who was so filled with hatred against this great United States of America and so filled with conspiracy theories that he blows up this big federal building in Oklahoma, kills all those people, doesn't attack strong men, but he kills a lot of little babies. What a big man he is. How proud he must feel of himself. You going to love him? Yes, love your enemies. Like him? No, I can't like him. I can't like him, but I can love him. I can love him. I can pray for him. I can wish for his salvation. I can seek for his best good. Love your enemies. George Washington Carver was a famous black man who received hell from a lot of people in this world and in this country. He was treated very badly. But he made the statement, and I endorse it, I will not allow any man to degrade my soul to the level of hatred. If you hate somebody because they're worth hating, you've degraded your soul. It doesn't matter how people treat you, love them. Don't allow any person, any liar, any cheat, any crook, any charlatan to bring out the worst in you. Let it bring out the love of God in you. You all have difficulties. You all have people who've done rotten things to you, who've been mean to you, who've 
cheated from you, who've just been rotten to you. My friend, don't allow those people to degrade your soul to the level of hatred. Do not hate, because hate is of Satan. Hate and anger poison the springs of life. Peace, healing, and happiness occur when hate and anger go. Happiness is a choice, my friend. Love is a choice. I come to my third clause. How to receive and give forgiveness. Ah, my friend, that is a tough one. How to receive and give forgiveness. Would you look at the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, verse 9 and onwards, please. Matthew 6 and verse 9 and onwards, please. And Jesus teaches us how to pray here. This is a sample prayer. This is a model prayer. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is a truth that many of us struggle with. Jesus taught the necessity of forgiving those who sin against us, whether they see the need of forgiveness or not, whether they seek to be forgiven or not. That's a tough one. When I was a young Christian, I thought I should forgive those people who've come to me and apologized. Because there are conditions for forgiveness. You see, if I want God to forgive me, I've got to repent. And therefore I reasoned, if, if I'm going to give forgiveness to a person who sinned against me, he needs to repent to me. I don't think that anymore. I need to forgive people whether they're sorry or not, whether they see the need for forgiveness or not, whether they hate me or not, I am to love them and to forgive them. This is like loving your enemies. It is a supernatural religion. It is not man-made. We cannot do it without the love of God. One religious group in the Middle East has a sign at one of their shrines. I've been there. I've read it. I've looked at horror as I've read it. It says, we never forgive. We never forget. We never forgive. We never forget. And that's the tragedy of the Middle East. That is the tragedy of the human heart without God. There is no soothing balm of forgiveness. We never forgive and we never forget. That is the tragedy, my friend, of the Croatians and the Serbs. They've been, the Americans and the United Nations think that they're going to solve that problem. My friend, it's been going on for a thousand years. The Croatians and the Serbs have been at each other's throats because they never forgive and they never forget. Like the Arabs and the Jews in the Middle East, we never forgive, we never forget. Like in Northern Ireland, the Catholics against the Protestants, we never forgive and we never forget. Like in Africa, where tribe fights tribe, black against black, 
Like in Rwanda, where blacks have killed a million blacks because they never forgive and they never forget. Family, racial, national feuds, my friends. Family, racial, national feuds that last for centuries because people never forgive and never forget. There's only one thing that can break the circle of hatred and that is forgiveness. Whether people deserve it or not, whether they ask for it or not, forgive them. Think of DeShazer who forgave his torturers. He said, I forgive you. Jesus on the cross prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They may not want this. They may not care for it. But Father, forgive them. Now, my friend, they did not accept that forgiveness, apparently. But Jesus forgave them. They're not going to be saved because they didn't accept it. But he forgave them. I've told some of you the story of the Baptist Christians during the time of Stalin when people were being tortured by those godless communists, tortured until they screamed and they cursed and they hated, 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 the communists hated. And people in those concentration camps hated back, except these, these Baptist Christians. And they made an arrangement with the guards that when some atheist was going to be taken and tortured, so that he would hate and he would scream that they would take his place. Because they said, every time a person is tortured and pours forth hate, there's so much more hate in the world. But if you torture us, we will love in return and forgive you. Can you believe that? Who here could do that? Who here watching on this television program who goes to church has got a Christianity that can do that? The communists call them born fools because they'd learned the gift of love and the gift of forgiveness. Must I forgive the person who has lied about me and struck at my very heart and tried to destroy my work and my work in Russia? Should I forgive that person, those people? Forgiveness and love are not to be confused with trust and confidence. You cannot have trust and confidence in those whose track record shows that they are unreliable. But you can love them and forgive them. And so we forgive those who have hurt us. You and I must forgive our enemies. Listen to this little statement I wrote last night. Forgiveness is an expensive, soothing, healing ointment applied to an oozing wound that left unattended and untreated will destroy the whole body. Let me say it again. Forgiveness is an expensive, soothing, healing ointment applied to an oozing wound that left unattended and untreated will destroy the whole body. My friend, when we forgive, we recover health. Forgiveness is a choice.
Happiness is a choice. Love is a choice. Why is it that so many people find it so hard to forgive? It is simple. Only a forgiven person can forgive. You know the story of Simon the Pharisee? And there was the woman, the fornicator, the adulterer, the prostitute. And she came in and she had her hands on Jesus and she was, she was weeping and she was kissing his feet and wiping his feet with her tears. And she had put all that alabaster over him. And Simon, the Pharisee, the high churchman, the man who was the most ostentatious in the carrying out of his religious rites, said to himself, if he knew what sort of woman she was, he wouldn't allow her to touch him. And then Jesus said, Simon, I have somewhat to say to you. And he said, Master, say on. Wondering what would come from the master's lips because the master knew everything. The master knew that Simon had been sleeping with this woman. Simon had been sleeping with this woman. Remember, my friend, when you point a finger at somebody else, there are three that point back at you. You know that, don't you? Every person who points a finger at his brother has three that point back. So he said, Masters, say on. And then Jesus told the story of the two debtors, the one who owed ten billion and the one who owed ten dollars. And he said, which one will love him the most? And Simon said, I suppose the one who owed the most and who was forgiven the most. Jesus said, right. This woman whose sins are many has been forgiven because she loved him much but what about you Simon there's no forgiveness in your heart there's no love in your heart because Simon you've never known what it is to feel your need and to cry out to God for forgiveness only a person who knows the depths of despair that come because of sin and who knows the joy that comes when he is forgiven, can forgive. And when you know how great a burden God has lifted from us, it is not hard, my friend, to forgive. Only a forgiven person can be a forgiving person. Clause number four. How to receive, how to replace guilt with peace how to receive this inner tranquility. There are millions of people in this world unable to sleep because of a troubled conscience. There's nothing worse than a troubled conscience. My friend, the greatest judgment upon the liar, the cheat, the troublemaker is before he goes to sleep if he can to think of what he's done. A troubled conscience. Millions develop neuroses because of a troubled conscience. Pilate could never get Jesus out of his mind. All the washing of his hands with water wouldn't wash away a troubled conscience. 
Peace comes when we confess our sins, forsake our sins, and make restitution for our sins. And when you have peace, my friend, you are a healthy person. Would you come over here to Ezekiel, please? Ezekiel chapter 33. You know, my friend, I'm not only preaching to you today, I'm preaching to me. Ezekiel 33 and verse 14, 15, and 16. And if I say to the wicked man, you will surely die, but then he turns away from his sin and does what is just and right, if he gives back what he took in pledge for a loan, returns what he has stolen, follows the decrees that give life and does no evil, he will surely live, he will not die. None of the sins he has committed will be remembered against him. He has done what is just and right, he will surely live. And the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What must I do? I must confess my sins, I must forsake my sins, I must make restitution for what I've done. If I've stolen, I've got to restore what I've stolen. Listen to this. If I have gossiped about a person and destroyed his reputation, I cannot go to heaven until I go to him and say, I've sinned against you. Someone says, then I won't go to heaven. No, you won't unless you do that. The Bible says we must make a restitution. We must restore the pledge. And when a person does that, he's covered by the blood of Jesus. And the guilt is gone. The guilt is gone. There is a great peace that comes into our heart when we do what is right and settle it with God. Are there some here today who can't sleep because of a guilty conscience? Because of what you've done? Because of lies you've told? Because of evil that you've thought? My friend, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. That is worth more, my friend, than any medicine the doctor can give you. And something else. How to replace fear with trust. There are many sick hearts, anxious hearts, many fearful people. The world is filled with fear. One of the most unsettling traumatic experiences in my life, as you know, happened to me in St. Petersburg when I was rushed to a Russian ICU in a Russian ambulance. And then on a Sunday night, they over-medicated me and my blood pressure dropped, 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 and I started to get cold and clammy. But you know what I did when fear came? I said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I said it to me. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And God gave me peace. And he took away fear. Trust in God 
takes away fear. Then when you read on in that psalm, David says, And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I thought to myself, even if I die here in Russia, I'm going to be with Jesus in paradise. I'm going to be resurrected. There is a life. There is hope. My friend, faith leads to the death of despair and the birth of hope. That's why Jesus said, have faith in God. Therefore, so whether we are happy, peaceful, courageous, optimistic, hopeful, loving and forgiving, or not, it is our choice. The alternative is pessimism, despair, a dirty conscience, guilt, anger, hate, all of those things, those things are also our own choice. Happiness is a choice. What you are is what you have decided to be. And that's why Moses said, This day I set before you life and death. Therefore choose life, that you and your seed may live. Therefore, I say, I, John Carter, I choose happiness. I choose love over hate. I choose forgiveness over bitterness. I choose courage over cowardice. I choose optimism over pessimism. I choose peace over guilt. I choose trust over fear. I choose life over death because I choose Christ. Can you say these words with me? I want you to say these words with me. I choose happiness. I choose happiness. I choose love over hate. I choose love over hate. I choose forgiveness over bitterness. I choose forgiveness over bitterness. Say it with your heart. I choose courage over cowardice. Courage over cowardice. I choose optimism over pessimism. I choose optimism over pessimism. I choose peace over guilt. Peace over guilt. I choose trust over fear. I choose life over death. I choose Christ. I choose Christ. That is why the words are written in, written down in that old Negro spiritual. There is a balm in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. There is a balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. I choose Christ. Please kneel. We're going to pray together. I want to make this a real, real prayer. And I want you to have today 
a sure and a certain salvation. I want you to know that you're going to heaven. Don't you want that? I want to see you in heaven. I want to be there. And today I want us all to tell God that we're going to choose love, not hate. Maybe someone's done something rotten to you. You've got to love that person. Not trust them, but love them. You've got to forgive them. John Wesley said, cast the fire out of your bosom. Some of you here have been badly hurt by some people. Cast the fire out of your bosom. Give it to God. That you may be the sons of your Father, which is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, this is a pretty strong meeting, isn't it? Because it tells us that happiness is a choice. That love is a choice. Forgiveness is a choice. Hate is a choice. And oh Lord, we choose not to hate. We choose to love. We choose not to hold grudges. We choose to forgive. We choose courage. We don't choose cowardice. We choose courage to fight the battle. And we want all of our sins forgiven. Lord, we need our sins forgiven here today. Some of us have hurt people with our tongues. God, help us to go to those we've hurt and say, I'm sorry. I want to make restitution. The Bible says to restore the pledge. Maybe some of us have pledged to do work for God and we haven't done it. But today we want to settle it with you. We want to be free from our sins and we want to be clean and we want to be saved. How many here today will raise a hand and say, Lord, I want to be free from my sin. I want to be saved. Lift up your hand high. If you can say that to God, lift it up high. Leave your hands up and say, if you can say it, I want to love, I want to forgive. Can you lift up your hand for love and forgiveness today? I want to love, I want to forgive. Dear Father, bless these upraised hands, bless these people, that they may be the sons and daughters of our Father who is in heaven. Bless them, Lord. And might it be today that they will know that there is a balm in Gilead, that there's healing for the sin-sick soul. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.